Hello, this is Michael Kane. There's nothing I enjoy more than getting my weekly dose of comic news and reviews with you good chaps on Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. You guys ask the hard questions that need answering. I mean, yeah, I'd totally tap my opposite gender clone, bang her like a screen door. I've always enjoyed your show, until your Dark Knight Rises review. What the fuck's your problem, Wayne? Everybody loves me as Alfred, even your mum. At least that's what I thought she said. It's hard to understand it with my dick in her mouth. But you know that better than anyone, eh? Keep up the good work, guys. And Wayne, please go fuck yourself. I'm Paul. This is Wayne. And then there were three. Well, Andrew may be coming back eventually. But Tim is lost to us forever. We need to drag Thistledown out of his field and onto a podcast. He doesn't see, want that, to. Uh, thought- see, that that's why we're not talking about Aquaman, because he didn't show up. If he yep. were here, we'd be talking about Aquaman. So it's <laughs> your fault, Thistledown, that we didn't talk about Aquaman. <laughs> So if you specifically request us to review a book for you, you have to no. be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be on the show and read it and purchase it for us. That's right. In order for us to review it and rub our backs while we read it. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps even read it to us. <laughs> He's close enough. He could drive up for that for me at least. <laughs> I don't. I don't take e back rubs through the through the email. No, he needs to fly over. All that for a two ninety nine Aquaman book. That's right. That's right. It's worth it. Sometimes you have to sacrifice to get publicity for the book you love. But not if you're George Lucas. So uh, George sold, sold his little independent film, you know, a little little minor property called Star Wars for four billion with a B dollars. Well, he sold more than that. He sold Lucas everything. Yeah, it's he sold everything except his body. <laughs> and there's still negotiations for that. I yeah. I wonder how much that goiter of his goes for, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or his flannel shirt. Yeah, yeah. I uh, wow. I you know I read that. I think that was the best news I've heard in a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. I don't get all the people that are freaking out about it. It's like he hasn't been steering the Star Wars universe in a good place in a long time. Wait, there are people freaking out about it. Oh yeah, very unhappy about Disney taking over this o- taking this over. Seriously, I haven't seen any of that. And oh the- yeah, that's everywhere I go. That's what I'm seeing, and it's a lot of people freaking out about what Disney's going to do. The properties that they're going to kidify it, that they're you know that they're going to add in uh, Mickey Mouse because you know that's what they did with Marvel. I mean, didn't you see Mickey Mouse in Avengers? No, because he wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone's freaking out about – well, not everyone. There are a good number of people who are very negative about this, you know, saying, you know, Disney's going to, like like Wayne said, kidify it or make it stupid, blah, blah, blah. It's Disney. Lucas already did all that. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like – I'm like, <laughs> it's like you know, what does Disney do well? They market properties. Well, I mean, like, you know, have you seen John Carter? Have you seen Tron, the yeah. new Tron? I mean, these are adult 
films. Well, we saw Taylor. John Carter, but no one else did. Oh, Jesus. Why did I? Why? Well, <laughs> so I, I guess my argument about the marketing team probably should you know, change. As long as they don't put the John Carter marketing team on Star Wars, because <laughs> that team could even keep people from going to see a Star Wars movie. I believe that team is unemployed. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it's well, just, you know, I, I don't understand the negativity. Much like you guys, I am super excited about it. I mean, let's be honest. Star Wars. It's a dead film franchise, yeah. as long as it's in Lucas's hands. Yep. My favorite quote of the internet over the last week was, the, I don't even know who quoted it because it's been requoted so many times, being afraid of Disney dest- destroying the Star Wars franchise is like being afraid of an iceberg sinking below the ocean and hitting the Titanic. It could happen. <laughs> Wait, I, I got to tell you, you know, back when I was a kid, I don't know if you guys uh, remember or were exposed to this, but there was a little magazine that was sold through Scholastic Press called Dynamite. Do you, do you all remember yeah. that at all? Well, oh, yeah. And in the pages of Dynamite, you know, it was right after you know Star Wars broke and everything. Um, you know, they talked about George Lucas's plans for for the story, and there was going to be nine films. And you know, when that when they announced the prequels. I was initially excited because, oh, yeah, we're going to get our nine films. And, you know, we got three uh, bad to mediocre films. And then, you know, Lucas said he wasn't going to do live action features anymore. And now we're going to get those other three movies. And if Disney, if it's successful, Disney will go on and make more stuff. So Mm -hmm. I am just really excited that, uh, number one, Disney is going to bring us three more live-action Star Wars films. Plus, hey, Disney will probably do something like hire a writer and a real director, (sighs) you know, because that was what was missing out of the first three movies. So I am just as stoked as I can be about this. Yeah, and they've already announced that Episode Seven is being planned. Well, yeah, 2015. Yeah, 2015 is a big year between Justice League, Avengers 2, and Star Wars. Well, you know, and it's like I said on Twitter, now I have something to live for. <laughs> you know, I, I you know, I, I was I was considering that suicide pact between me and Tim and Andrew, but uh, you know, now now I think I'm going to stay around. I have to st- I have to back out of the pact. I don't think it works that way. Uh, yeah, I do. I have to back out. Sorry. <laughs> I have I have a Star Wars episodes, you know, uh Clause seven, eight, and nine. You know, clause in my uh, in, in my in my suicide pact. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, I'm I'm just I'm I'm super excited about it. I really can't wait to see what they're gonna do with it. Uh, I don't think they're gonna make a bad decision with it. No, I really don't. I don't either. I I think that Disney is is g- generally pretty smart with their properties. And I mean, come on, these the Star Wars property is gigormous. Let's be honest. Disney is smart with the par- properties they purchase. Mm-hmm. With yes. their own properties, they can't seem to get a live-action property off the ground. <laughs> um, you know, Tron, John Carter—they just can't seem to get those off the ground. However, you know, with the stuff they purchase, I, I think I think we're going to see a really good Star Wars movie. It sounds like a treatment was already in place, uh-huh. which was part of the purchase. Yeah, I and, think uh, there are rumors that it involves you know Luke as an older guy and you know with the kids of han and leia you know like 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 the next generation what i what i like about the idea is that you know uh you could use harrison ford and mark hamill you know and you know carrie fisher in a lesser extent well you certainly wouldn't (laughs) want want a reprise of the of the uh jedi bikini scene (laughs) you know those actors are genuinely of an age that you could utilize them 
for some stuff. So it'd be nice to see him in cameos. Yeah, absolutely. You know? It would be yeah, nice. I mean, I mean, Luke. I mean, Luke. Mark Hamill. Yeah, he's old, but you know, he's not. He 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 can still act. You know, I recently saw him in a movie, and he he did a really good job. You know, I mean, maybe he can do some sit ups or something, but <laughs> but I, I think he could do a damn good job playing the role again. And I'm I'm a, I, I want to see them on the screen again. No, I would too. I would too. And I I just I'm I'm just very 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 excited about this. Now, here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. You know, what's it been thirty plus years since, since the original? Uh huh. So uh, reboot? No, I don't want to see a reboot. I would rather see a continuation of the storyline that sets up for other stories that are unrelated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think know. it needs a reboot because they've still been producing more and more material that, yeah, the movies weren't good. But I've heard some of the Clone Wars stuff actually got to be pretty good. Clone Wars actually the, pretty good. Yeah, all of the extended universe books. I mean, I don't read them, but I've got friends that read them, and they love that entire extended universe stuff. So I don't think it needs a reboot yet. No. Well, what do you think, Aaron? Oh, I, I don't think so either. I just, but but knowing, uh, you know, Hollywood uh, as we do, that's probably a question that's being asked. You know, do they reboot it for a new generation? Do they start the the series all over again. And it gives them, if you're going to redo the, you know, four, five, and six, you could always redo one and one, two, and three, um, which I would be all over. I would love to see a reboot of one, two, and three. You know, if I could keep my, my, actually, really all I need to do is keep episodes four and five. You can lose six for me. So, uh, you know, if you could lift the Ewoks out of that, <laughs> I would be a very happy man. No, no, I think just just leave the stuff untouched. We've already seen what happens when you retouch the shit. Well, just and, leave what's done untouched and go forward. And along those lines, it would be nice to get a Blu-ray edition of the uh, of the uh, you know original cinematic release of uh, of Star Wars. Ooh, you know, that's it, actually a possibility now. Yeah, Lucas exactly. Was never going to do it, but right with uh, with Disney buying it. They could actually release the original cinematic version that everyone's been wanting instead of the any of the updated ones. Because you know they yeah. did the the DVD of it in limited release, but I don't think they've ever done a Blu-ray. Yeah, I don't even think they're extras on the Blu-ray. Yeah, so I mean, I, I would love to see that. And you know, Disney's all about making the green, so maybe that'll happen now. Yeah. So, but I, I think um, I think we're going to see announcements come hot and heavy on this stuff. You know, we've already seen, I don't know if you guys saw last night, they already announced that Cartoon Network is uh, losing Clone Wars at the end of the season. Is it going to go to Disney XD? Yes, it is. Well, and and that asks the question, does Star Wars comic book move from Dark Horse over to Marvel? Which is a little scary for me because, well, not scary, it's a little sad for me. I haven't been reading Dark Horse Star Wars lately. There's just, you know, for a while I just dropped out of it, but there's a new series coming out Uh that's just called Star Wars. Right. And it's written by Brian Wood. Yes, that's Saga's Brian Wood. Um, and it takes place between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. And features the original trilogy's characters. Are you talking about my saga? Yes, I'm talking about your saga, written by Brian Wood. Isn't that Brian Vaughn? Forget what I said about Saga. It is Brian... <laughs> <laughs> it's Brian Wood from... Um, <laughs> Uh, others he's written he's written some x-men titles i know that he wrote some, <laughs> <shut up. laughs> 
He's written a comic book once in his life. He's written no, something, Brian, perhaps a check or a note. I'm not really sure what he's written. No, DMZ, <laughs> Brian Wood wrote DMZ, Demo, uh, Conan the Barbarian, um, Generation X. He's written, he's written some good stuff. Stop making fun of me! He wrote Northlanders. You remember Northlanders? I, I love Northlanders. He wrote Northlanders. Okay. Um, so I, I, I'm sorry. I confused him with Brian Vaughn. Sorry. But point of the fact is I'm excited about it. It's got colors by Alex Ross. Covers by Alex Ross. Um, so, I mean, and that series is just going to start in, I think, December or January. And, you know, I, I, I don't know how long Dark Horse's contract is with uh, – with, the star on the, you know, the Star Wars property, right. but right. I, I'm sure once it runs out, it will not be renewed. Which, of course, then, are we going to get a Brian Michael Bendis Star Wars book? Is that what this means? Yeah, I think that, I might even pick that up. Dan Abnett and Andy Landing on Star Wars. God, that would be so good, wouldn't it? That would be good. Yeah, no, I, I I'm just curious if they'll do it. I mean, I don't has I don't think Disney has yet moved their Boom properties. Yes, they have. Have they moved them? Yeah. Uh, like DuckTales, Darkwing Duck, all those stuff. Yeah. They, I mean, those were instant. Okay. Like the month after the Marvel thing got announced, those titles oh, really? all ended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm sure Dark – I mean, because that's a big moneymaker for Dark Horse. So. Sure. Yeah, no. I, and, and they – the thing I like about Dark Horse – and I'm not a, a religious reader of the Star Wars books over there, but they have just done a, such a good job managing that property. It's quality. They do it really quality is. work. You know, it unlike really some is. of the other properties that just delved into nonsense and bullshit, they really have been taking care of the Star Wars property. Yeah, and I know it's been a long, long time since Marvel had the Star Wars property, but I was never really impressed with Marvel's work on it. I mean, even the classic books, you know, like Carmen Infantino uh, worked on, I was just never really wild about the artistic take. But I feel like I feel like Dark Horse has really done a, a high end job. In managing well, those books, I'm willing to bet no one that was on the original Star Wars is still with Marvel anymore. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I, and Marvel's certainly a different company than it was back in those days. But uh, you know, I, I'm interested to see what happens and, and how things develop. Well, you know, there's there's some strangely there is some other news. Brian Singer is returning to X Men. I'm not really sure how I feel about this either. It's like I enjoyed the Brian Singer movies quite a bit, but X Men First Class was wonderful. And if he's involved with what's going to be the sequel of it, I don't know. It's just the movies have a completely different feel to them. I enjoyed, uh, you know, X Men One and X Men Two. Um, did not enjoy Superman Returns quite so much as possibly we we should have, but. Uh, uh, I I I'm I, I hate to see uh, is his name Matthew Vaughn is that right from uh, X Men First Class correct I, yeah. I I hate to see him go because I thought X Men First Class was just an ingeniously made movie yeah he hit it out of the park he took a movie that everyone just assumed was going to be horrible and he made what I think is the best of the X Men movies I wouldn't go that far I didn't I, I I I'm I am one of the few that did not love X Men First Class. Why do you always got to be so contrary, Paul? Because that's what I do. Because we're a podcast, and if we all agreed, no one would listen to us. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just so I don't, Paul takes up the mantle of being wrong sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> and sometimes Wayne takes it. But 
I just I feel like I don't know, I, especially the makeup jobs on first class I felt were were really lackluster. I liked some of the ideas. I just I don't know. I didn't like it as much as I liked the original X Men movies. And I actually like the third X Men movie, the Bri- the Brett Ratner one. God, I hate that movie. I do not hate that movie. I, I hate think it's I hate that decent. movie with everything I've got. I like <laughs> scenes in the movie. I don't like the movie overall and I really hated what they did with the Phoenix story, but there are individual scenes I like. Just some of the action scenes I thought were well done action scenes. There just was no good story. So the uh, the the X Men movie that Brian Singer is making is Days of Future Past. Days of Future Past, which I, <clears throat> I, I mean, it'll involve time travel in some way because apparently it involves both the original cast and the new cast. Um, I don't know if that involves Wolverine, but what I did read was that the new Wolverine movie takes place after the X Men movies. Right. Yeah, I'm just excited about the idea of uh, older Kitty Pride. Yeah, I'm sure I, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I love the the character of Kitty Pride, and I love the original Days of Future Past storyline, and the idea of seeing a uh, an older Kitty Pride dropped in the middle of the X Men First Class cast. That could be a really interesting story. Well, I I, I really love that Days of Future Past story, so uh, I'm excited to see what they do with it, and you know maybe we get to see you know big Sentinels and and whatnot. I'm 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 grooving to that. What I'm really curious about is when the story will take place. Like the uh, what what decade? Since X Men First Class was back during the Cuban Missile Crisis, is this going to be modern day? Is this going to be the 70s, the 80s? The you know when is it going to happen? Yeah, they're going to come back to. I mean, is it, are they going to come to modern times or are they going to all go to the future? I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of unanswered questions. I don't know when that movie's supposed to come out. Is it 2014? I, I haven't heard. Yeah, expected release 2014. Now, did you guys know that, um, you know how they hired Joss Whedon as kind of this showrunner of the Marvel properties uh, for Disney? Yeah. You know how they, you know they hired Mark Millar to yeah, do the same for, Fox. for the Fox properties? Yeah, I, I heard that. So I think that I think that's, as, as despite <clears throat> my distaste for his antics and ego i think that's a very smart choice yeah so i think that's i think that's a good choice and uh you know it sounds like they're going to try to combine some of these franchises the fox franchises at least so we'll see yeah no i I think that it uh particularly somebody as linkedin as as uh mark millar is that uh you'll you'll get some some nice continuity maybe of the uh and over in the fox studios yeah i would love to start seeing some cameos in the fox movies yeah. yeah, and I know there's only but so much you can do, but th- it sounds like they're they're communicating on that yeah. stuff, even though probably not now that uh, Disney has taken Fox's Star Wars away from them. Hmm. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know what Marvel does need to get their hands back on is the damn Spider-Man franchise. I really liked Amazing Spider-Man from Sony. Uh-huh. But I really think Marvel needs to pull Spider-Man back at some point. And I know that it doesn't work that way. They can't just pull him back. Once the contract ends, then they can get him. But you know, it just would be nice to see Spider-Man with those other superheroes. You know, I would I would really love to see him tied in with some of the others. But that last movie was so good. I, I really loved Amazing Spider-Man, and I I am pumped for Amazing Spider-Man too. At yeah. least I was until some news came out this week. What news? News that Jamie Foxx is potentially signed, signing to play Electro in Spider-Man 2. 
I don't know why they, why that why why you're not excited about that. I hate Jamie Foxx. He's a horrible actor. He's never done anything good ever. I, I have to disagree with you there. <laughs> I really loved him in Collateral. I have never seen him do anything good ever. I have hated him in every role he's ever been in. Oh, any I, given Sunday. Will it be man? I have never seen it. Oh my god. That that was lost on you then. I need Tim back on the show. Have have you ever seen a Jamie Foxx movie? That's my yes. question. I, I've seen quite a few of them. I hate him in all of them. <laughs> I enjoyed that he died quickly in stealth. Because oh. then he wasn't in the rest of the movie. Wasn't he Ray Charles? Yes, he was. I didn't I, see that one. I, okay, so it sounds like you haven't seen any of the good Jamie Foxx movies. Yeah, what did you see? Did you see... Oh, he was in Horrible Bosses. He was good in that, too. <laughs> I've what Jamie, Jamie Foxx films have you seen? I've seen the Jamie Foxx TV show, too, and that uh-huh. was really bad. Oh, uh-huh. man, I even liked him in Miami Vice. <laughs> I just like Jamie Foxx, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm not excited about this news that he might be Electro. I am excited Is that it, Electro's going to be in the movie. I just don't like him. Now, let me just let me just ask the, the, the question. Is it that it upsets you because you 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 have such strong feelings about Jamie Foxx or does it bother you that they're changing, you know, an a, 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 a the racial aspect of the Electro character? No, it's just Jamie Foxx. Okay. I could care less what color they make Electro. Okay, so if they made Electro purple, if Barney the Dinosaur was playing Electro, you'd be okay with that. Well, well no, no. then we get yeah. into my Barney the Dinosaur issues. <laughs> yeah. Because he, he's never seen a good movie with Barney the Dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say that you have? I don't know. I liked Barney in uh, Any Given Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it, so I can't say anything. Well, and, you know, Barney was great in the Charlie Pride movie, so. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think Electro is a character that is. I like the character. I've always found him. Uh, some of the stories interesting, partially because I've uh, I've just read a couple of stories I really liked with him. But there's nothing that is too core to the character that can't be changed. You know, it's there's nothing about the character that says this character needs to be any particular race, needs to have any particular personality, and even the origin can be played with. So, no, I don't. I like the I like the powers and I have like some stories, but they can change anything they want about Electro and it won't upset me. Except clearly the actor. <laughs> well, yeah, they can pick an actor <laughs> I hate, but. So, Paul. Yes. I understand that there is a teenage mutant ninja turtle incident that occurred this week. There is a teenage mutant ninja turtle incident that occurred this week. So last week on the podcast, I talked about my excitement of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Annual 2012 from IDW this week. Oh, yeah. That was actually in my pull, and I had to slip it back on the shelf, which is more awkward than usual because I didn't go to my store on Comic Book Day. I went the day after. (laughs) See, story, script, and art and cover by Kevin Eastman one of the original creators of the Ninja Turtles. Very exciting for me. I was very excited about it. And, you know, I, we talked a little bit on the show about how my comic shop guy, um, his pull list works off of Comixology. Right. So if I want something um, outside of my usual pulls, I add it on Comixology and he pulls it for me. It's kind of like shopping online or reserving it online. Right. So, you know, Wednesday morning comes. I'm looking forward to going to the comic shop knowing that the cover price – of this book is eight ninety nine. God, that's ridiculous. It is a prestige format comic book, which I have not seen in years. Um, 
Oh, and I love the format, but yes, it is uh, an eight ninety nine comic, which is exactly why it got slipped back on the shelf at my shop. And so, it, there was no other copies on the shelf, so I have a feeling they may have only ordered it because I get Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Well, and we also know that I can't slip stuff back on the shelf at my comic shop because then my comic shop guy emails me. Or he puts <laughs> his elbow in your neck. Yeah. So, you know, Wednesday morning before I went to the comic shop, when I went to Comixology and saw that the same title was goddamn $3.99 on <laughs> Comixology. Yeah, yeah. I was quite upset. Were you? I, I was quite upset. Um, I, I wish they had advertised that the book would be $5 cheaper digitally um, because I wouldn't have added it to my list and I wouldn't have bought it in paper. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the format, uh, the procedure format. That being said, $5 is a big difference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's That's huge. I mean, if it was a dollar difference or something like that, I wouldn't be balking like this. But the book is a $5 difference on Comixology. And I feel I, – I'm actually kind of uh, – I, I mean, it, it sounds kind of sad because I'm upset that they're making a great deal. But I am. I'm upset that they're making a great deal and unadvertised that good of a deal um, You know, to, to, that kind of screws the person who buys the comic in paper. Right. You know, I mean, I, I get the cheap. You know, again, cheaper prices on digital. We've been talking about that for years now. At this point, um, well, at least a year. But, <laughs> but you know, we're talking about a dollar less. We're not talking about a difference of less than half the cost. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I was greatly upset about this. You know, and I wonder if it just costs them more to print in the perceived format. It's not what the printers are normally set up for. It's not what they usually do, and probably they didn't get as big of a bulk run because they wouldn't print as many issues as a regular issue. I'm sure. I'm sure it is entirely because of the cost of printing this gorgeous book. That being said, it still would have been nice to know that the book was that much cheaper on Comixology before the day of. You know, um, to a certain extent, I learned my lesson now. Now I'm just going to take the risk, and if there's a book that I want, I'm just going to not add it to my pull list. I'm going to wait till, and I'm going to risk going into the comic shop and not getting it, especially if it's from IDW, especially if the price is a big cost. Um, I just don't want to run into this issue again. I mean, that's a big. I mean, five dollars is the cost of two comics almost. That's a that's a lot of money. I mean, you know, for nine ninety nine, you can buy a lot of first issue trade, first volume trade paperbacks. You know, nine ninety nine, I think, is the cost of the Shinku trade paperback coming out next month. Yeah, I mean, so you better be giving me five comics worth of value, uh, you know, in a high quality binding. Yeah, I'm sorry, Shinku's fourteen ninety nine, but I know there's a nine. I mean, Image puts out some nine ninety nine bargain price trades. And so does Boom. You know, yeah. Boom does the same. You know, and th- this is not a trade paperback. You yeah. know, this is one story. And again, I'm I'm not complaining about the quality of the story. I'm not complaining that it wasn't worth the cost. I haven't read it yet. I am complaining about the fact that there is such a disparaging difference in price that was not noted to those who to the fans. You right. know? So next week you'll be coming back and telling us it wasn't worth the price. Yeah, next week I'll be I'll be saying, God damn it, really? I paid nine bucks for that. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, hear your TMNT incident after you read it. I, I will, I will, I will bring in my book report next week. 
And uh, Wayne, I will task you with bringing in a book report about the upcoming Alpha miniseries. Uh, no, because I won't be buying it. But Alpha's your favorite character. <laughs> you no. got the T-shirt <laughs> and and the <laughs> Alpha hoodie. He, he ranked higher than X Man on that list. That's right. No, just kidding. <laughs> you know, and I I really don't get this. Why in the world would they take a character that is universally hated? And I don't mean like hated, like people love to hate him. No, people really hate this character. Okay, now all no, of now what's your sampling of universally? Other podcasts. Okay, and us. Okay, the. Uh, the two people on this podcast with me right now both hated Alpha. <laughs> so That's the universe of us three. Gotcha. Okay, I'm with you now. The only ones that count. <laughs> I've never seen anything positive on the internet about Alpha, at least. I assume he is universally hated because I've never seen positive anything about this character. Yet he is getting a miniseries. Well, I mean, I, you know what? On the bright side of things, at least he's not taking over Spider-Man's place. That is true. <laughs> And he's yeah. he's leaving New York, which is a good thing too. Yeah, I mean they they could take the character in different directions. I mean a lot of characters start out as shitty characters, and they turn around and become interesting characters. Um, so the Alpha miniseries starts in February. It is not written by Dan Slott. It is instead written by Joshua Hale Fialkov, and art by Nuno Plati. Um, and they did the backup, uh, one of the backups in Amazing Spider-Man six ninety two, which was the first issue of Alpha's, uh, the first appearance of alpha so um they did the one where spider-man takes the kid around and gives him ice cream and stuff so i I, i'm um i don't know i don't know how i feel about this i uh i i probably much like wayne i will probably not pick it up I, i think they unfortunately set themselves up a little bit too much for this character to be one that people just don't care about yeah and unless i find out this story has an effect on superior spider man I'm not really going to be all that interested in it. Yeah, I, I, I could be less interested. Uh, well, I guess I couldn't be less interested in in Alpha. I mean, I just I didn't enjoy that the, the series uh, that he appeared in the the story arc that he appeared in enough to to go and pick that up. Uh, yeah. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. I just I, I think they said it was a five issue miniseries, um, or maybe they just said miniseries, and I just assumed. Yeah, no, five issues uh, with Alpha moving to Pittsburgh. I'm not all that interested. They, they're going to have to do a lot to make me interested. And I'm sorry to say that. You know, I, I, I'm, not, I, I, I'm sorry to write off a series before it even starts. But if your character is that uninteresting to me, you know, that's what happened. Well, let's see if we agree on this week's new releases. Starting with Justice League Dark Annual Number 1. Um, written by Jeff Lemire. With art by Mikkel Janin, I think. Michael, Michael Jannon, however you want to pronounce it. Steve, Steve, Steve. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it is the conclusion of the uh, the big story arc, well, kind of conclusion to the big story arc involving the Books of Magic and John Constantine and Zatanna and, and Nick Necro. Nick Necro and all these huge Vertigo characters being pulled into the DC universe. Um, Aaron, what would you think of it? I loved this book. Wasn't I, it so good? God, I loved this book. I, uh, you know, I almost didn't pick it up because of the price. You know, I just, I the uh, the price point on it just seemed a little extreme uh, for the annual. You know, when you're usually spending two ninety nine on a book, 
um, it just seemed a little high. Was, uh, yeah, I think it was four ninety nine. Yeah, I'm going back. I'm flipping back to the to the, the cover to. Oh, to, you bought it digitally. I did. But uh, come on, there we go. Um, it doesn't tell me. I'm pretty sure it was four ninety nine. Yeah, I think it was four ninety nine, and I think that and and that was the you know I was like God you know do I pick it up or not? But uh, I did you know because I've I've really enjoyed the Justice League stories that I've read so far, and this was just really very enjoyable. I I, I completely dug it. I, I thought the artwork was fantastic, uh, was moody, and you know really had that supernatural flair to it. I have to tell you, did you ever see the uh, the uh, movie Lord of Illusions? Yeah, with um, uh, Scott Bakula. Yeah, this storyline has reminded me a lot of that. You know, I could see that. You know, with uh, the returning mentor, you know, that you thought you had you had killed or had been part of uh, his death. You know, coming back to exact vengeance on his apprentices. And it, it it very much reminds me of that. In fact, it's had me looking to see if it's available, if Lord of Illusions is available on Blu-ray, because I really kind of like that movie. But uh, uh, I, I just it's not is it? It is not. In fact, uh, it hasn't been re released in a while. Hmm. Um, so I mean, I think there's there might be like a DVD out there of it, but you, it has not yet been released on Lord of, uh, on Blu-ray. But I like that movie, and as such, I really like this story. Um, I. I I enjoyed the big fight scenes, the big showdown. Uh, you know, I enjoyed the appearance of Amethyst, and I really wasn't quite so uh, excited about that. Uh, but I thought they handled that well. Yeah. Oh, and Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, Frankenstein, agent of shade. You know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I read that story, that title at the beginning, and it's not a bad title. Yeah. You know, I dropped it because of financial reasons, but it's not a badly written title. Unfortunately, I do think it is ending in January. Yeah. But I enjoyed his appearance here. Um, I think it was just a well-written, supernatural superhero book. Completely agree. Um, and it's funny because yeah. it all takes place during the daytime. Yeah, yeah. It, which is unusual for one of these supernatural books. Yeah. Um, yeah, so because Paul was going on and on about Justice League Dark, I went ahead and, uh, you know, in a quarter box sale last week, I picked up three issues of it. And I was I was kind of excited to see that and a bunch of other New 52 titles because, like you were talking about with uh, with Frankenstein, I dropped a bunch of the New 52 just because of financial reasons. There were way too many books to do. So I've got a pile of New 52 books that were all a quarter apiece that I'm working my way through. Even gave Batgirl a second chance. Well, if you can get your hands on some Jeff Lemire Justice League Dark, um, highly recommended. I think it's been a, a really great run. I did not see the end of this book coming. Um, I'm very curious as to what it means. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil it here, but it, it's just like the, the the last couple of pages happened. And it's like, what the hell just happened? Yeah, no, I, I, am, I, am, I really enjoyed the annual, which I can't. It seems like that's a rare thing to say, but I really enjoyed the annual, and uh, I'm excited to see where the story's going. Yeah, now I'm a little sad because um, it's it, it hasn't been officially announced, but uh, apparently Jeff Lemire said during an interview that he was leaving the title sometime in the near future. So I'm very sad about that. Uh, you know, I think he he really brought a really nice flavor to the title that has made me excited about it. Uh, I don't know who they'll get to replace him, but. Yeah, he's had a very, very good sensibility about the book. I, I, I think he just did a fantastic job on it. 
Yeah, and I wonder if they're just, you know, if he's leaving the title because it's going to start tying in with, you know, the Trinity War and Justice League and Justice League of America, you know, or whatever that's going to happen. But um, it's been great, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where the storyline goes from here. Yeah. You know, now, a, a title that came out this week that is that is not the conclusion of a storyline, but also an annual from DC was Action Comics Annual number 1, uh, written by Sholee Fish with art by Kali Hamner. Also featured a backup written by uh, Max Landis, the guy who directed and wrote Chronicle. And the so, guy who did a whole video online making fun of the death of Superman. Did he really? Oh, is yeah. that the guy who did that? Yes, it's the same guy. Okay. Now, Max Landis, is he John Landis's son? I believe, know? I believe he is. I believe he is as well. Hmm. There's some talent in that family. A little bit. A little bit. I mean, you you can't really get it from reading the story that he wrote. That <laughs> <book>. Yeah, because <laughs> it it is like an eight page wordless story that's supposed to be the origin of the atomic skull. Now, I will say, very uniquely written, very beautiful art. I believe the artist Phil Noto, maybe uh, Wayne. Do you have it in front of you? I do. I am checking. It's not Phil Noto. It's um. I don't want to get it wrong. Uh, Ryan Souk. Artists Ryan and Souk. Colors. Yeah, Ryan Souk. He did the uh, the covers for Magdalena. So I, I think it's it's there's there's more to it than meets the eye. It's just I'm not a huge fan of wordless stories, and uh, that's what this one is. But before we get to that, let's talk about the main feature written by Sholee Fitch. Beautiful, beautiful art by Kali Hamner. Uh, Wayne, what'd you think of it? I. I'm going to say something I haven't said about a Superman book since the new 52. I love, love this book. It was a Superman book. I mean, it was, it was, it was a darn good Superman book. It was, I mean, it sounded like Superman. The character was, the voice was a very Superman character. The villain was a good villain. It had steel that we all loved from the backups that they had done before. And his interaction with steel sounded like an interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, you know. So this uh, this story takes place. You know, I, I haven't been reading action comics lately, but you know, uh, it it's obviously you know the character of Steel is very different in the New Fifty Two than he was in the previous Fifty Two. He has not been a superhero. Um, you know, so the death it, it's already been announced that the death of Superman did happen, but I guess Steel did not have a, a part in it. Yeah, like, I don't know how it could have possibly happened because it doesn't make any sense. For it to have but, happened in the stories that they've been telling. But I, I think they'll be explaining that in the next couple of issues. One of the things that they said Grant Morrison was going to be doing was examining the New 52 history of Superman for like the last five issues or four issues of his run so that we see what happened and what didn't. Kind of like what Joe Casada did with uh, One Moment in Time. Can't he just leave the book entirely and give it over to uh, to Fisher and Hamner? <laughs> you know, I gotta say, I'm I'm, I'm excited about Andy Dickel coming on the title, but Sholee Fish did a really good job. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, the voice on Steel is a really interesting character, I and mean, this is a this is a guy that's talking about Superman inspiring people. Superman hasn't inspired anyone in the New Fifty Two until now. Yeah, now so Sholee Fish is he has been writing the backups in Action Comics that essentially fill in the gaps of Grant Morrison's yeah. storyline, and those have all been better than the Morrison storyline by far. Yeah, so to a certain extent, he reads kind of like a well-written Grant Morrison. That that's how I feel about his writing because it's got some Morrison touch, touches, 
but it's it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and th- so this was the origin of the Kryptonite Man, the new Kryptonite Man in the new Fifty Two, um, and I guess this is Superman's first battle. Um, not just first battle with Kryptonite Man, but first experience with Kryptonite. Is that uh, that's kind of the way I read it. Um, I've not been exposed to Kryptonite before. I don't know if it's first ex- appearance, but it's the first time Luther and all of them find out about it. Like, I don't yeah. remember in the Brainiac or the Collector storyline if they dealt with Kryptonite at all. I don't think they did. But um, so I mean, I said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, I said this on Twitter. I read a. I looked at a one-page preview of this book, um, where, where Superman's like holding, I believe, a train over his head. He's holding something over his head, you know, and Lois oh, is looking up at him. The, that's the crane, when the crane, the crane. fell from the yeah, roof. Yeah, sorry, the crane. He's holding a crane above his head, and I'm like, I'm going to buy this book. <laughs> I mean, just from that one yeah. page, you know, Cully Hamner's art sold me on this book, and I'm a huge fan of his, so. Yeah, and storyline-wise, those are some great pages. I mean, it really sounds like, and I keep going back to sound, because that's one of the things is it doesn't feel like it's had the Superman voice, and this is really it. Like he shows up, grabs this crane, does a Miss Lane, and then uh, if you've got your photo, you'd better clear out. I can't hold this forever. Mm-hmm. But yeah. when it, you know, when he gets attacked, the first thing he thinks about isn't himself; it's know the people. It's like this is Superman. This is someone who's caring more about the crowd than himself. Yeah, I think DC is really turning Superman around in these recent months and making, you know, t- getting away from the aggro emo Superman that they started the new 52 with and getting back to the heart of the character because, you know, the Scott Lobdell run started off strong. I'm excited about these announcements of the new creative teams. And this issue was really good. So Paul, do you remember this, uh, the character that becomes kryptonite man was his origin actually in one of the previous stories? Not his origin so. as a power, but because I mean that's a story that's been told many, many, many times in the past. Superman trying to interfere with a wife beater, and then the wife being upset about it. And yeah, I mean that's I, I don't I, I, I'm sure it ties into something that has or, a tale that's already been told in action comics. Um, I, I've again I haven't been following it that much lately, so I'm sure that character popped up, but I can't remember. I, I just I really haven't been digging action comics, so I kind of try to block it out of my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I wish you would have gotten this one, Aaron. This really was – this is the best Superman book that we've had since the New 52 started because it really is a Superman book. Yeah, and you know when Cully Hamner draws, this, draws the new Superman costume, it works. It works for me. Yeah, I have no complaints about the costume in this book, and I haven't liked it in some of the other appearances. Now, I will say I do not like the steel costume. I'm okay with the costume. I'm not okay with the like – the thing on this app, the apparatus on his head. Yeah. And it just seems like if you're going to wear an armor that protects your body, why are you leaving the most vulnerable part open to attack? Yeah. So the, other than that, I, I like the costume, but the headpiece is definitely a little annoying. Um, but it is, it's kind of more of a steel story than a Superman story. It's kind of a mixture of both, but it's really well written. It does tie into what's going on in action comics, but you don't have to have read action comics to understand it. Yeah. Cause I haven't. Yeah. So what do you think about the backup feature, the atomic skull? Yeah, I didn't really have a strong opinion on it. Didn't really care about it. Yeah, it's a shame because it's a beautiful the art's beautiful. And I he he's basically trying to tell an origin story without words. So, you know, he has these giant two page spreads that show the the character's past and you're supposed to, you know, look at all the pictures and understand the story, but it just it doesn't it it's 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 unique but it's not great. 
Um, yeah. But not, especially not as good as the opening piece. But, Aaron, I, I would recommend it. And for anyone who enjoys uh, Superman and has been kind of stepping away from action comics because of Grant Morrison, you know, despite it, saying, but despite it being action comics on the cover, it doesn't feel like the monthly title. So I'm curious to hear a view of the book that I couldn't get this week. I went to my comic shop. I went to my backup comic shop. I even went to a bookstore, even though I knew it wasn't supposed to be out yet, trying to find Superman Earth 1 Volume 2. And I could not find a copy of this thing anywhere to buy. So, Aaron, you've been awfully quiet. <laughs> well, I didn't read the last book. Um, <laughs> I, I picked up Superman Earth 1 Volume 2, written by J. Michael Straczynski with uh, – Art by Shane Davis, uh, which you know brings back the team that did Superman Earth One, and you know I I felt very uh, um, I don't know disappointed, let down in the first volume of Superman Earth One. There I thought there were things to like about it, but overall I didn't find it to be a very strong story. Whereas I found that in Superman Earth One Volume Two, I liked this rather a lot. Paul had sent me some some notes earlier in the week stating that uh, there's not a lot of Superman on the page. It's a, it's a, it's more of a Clark Kent story. Uh, and he had, he had as if I wasn't already sold on the book. Um, you know, this is a different Clark Kent than we, you know, grew up with. It's a different Clark Kent than what we see in the new 52, though he is a little closer to the new 52 than say the, uh, the pre new 52, uh, Clark Kent, but uh, I kind of dug it. Even with the Parasite being the villain in this book, uh, and, and like Paul, I'm not a big fan of the Parasite, uh, I, I dug it. I dug it. I have some minor issues with it. For instance, I think that uh, Straczynski wrote past his in- ending. Um, I think that the book should have probably have been about eight pages shorter. Um, it just kind of went on and on. And I think he might have been better off trying to fit those pages in before the climax of the story. But uh, other than that, I I liked it rather a lot. So, Paul, I know that you feel differently. I do feel a little differently. Um, I I loved the stuff with Clark Kent. Uh I I feel like his handle on the Clark Kent character was really well done. Um, Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen are, are essentially cameos in this book. And, but, you know, I, I have to say, uh, while I enjoy the take on Jimmy Olsen, I can't stand Lois Lane. Yeah, I I, I, I I mean, I don't find her to be an admirable character in the least. Agreed. Yeah. And that you know, and that's one of my qualms with it. You know, I mean, and maybe I'm, I'm okay with – I guess I'm okay with that. I just – she is she's a very unlikable character. Yeah. Um, but I just – I, I like the stuff with Clark Kent. I did not care necessarily for almost any time Superman was on the page. Um, and I had a, kind of the same issues with the first one. Just when Superman, when he's finding an uninteresting villain, right? It's just not interesting to me. Um, I, now, I was. I say, oh, go ahead. No, I, well, I was much more invested in the Clark Kent story than I was the Superman story. Exactly. Um, and, and so the, it felt uneven to me. And I won't spoil anything, but there are. A series of, of pages in which Clark talks about his pet. You oh, know, yeah. About when – and I never pictured Superman as a cat guy, but he talks about his cat. And I got to tell you, 
I was moved by those pages. Yeah, that was fantastic, wasn't yeah, it? It really that was. was. I, 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 it was tender. It was uh, very moving. I, it was something that I think a lot of people can relate to. And I, I liked the Superman-ish take on it. You yeah, know, that no, it I wasn't just, you know, here's, here's this story that's, you know, tender and warm. But there was a Superman flair to it. And I just, I thought it worked really well. And I mean, even the beat where he's telling his neighbor the story and she's crying on the next page, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, yeah, because I, it, it, you know, she, she says, uh, you know, that is the saddest, the most beautiful, you know, story that she's ever heard. Um, and I'm, I'm, I absolutely agree. I, th- I think that it was a very genuine beat in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I'm kind of right there with you. I, I, I was, I it was less than dazzled um, by Superman on the page. Yeah, but and but I, I I'll say that Clark, you know, the guy behind Superman, much more heroic than the New Fifty Two Superman. Correct. You know. Now I have a I have a question for you because I I have not read a sh- uh, the first volume in a while and I was going to, but he go but his ship. Right. So he takes the ship and he's like, "Ship, make me a suit." Right. It is I don't recall that being established in the first one. Well, it didn't establish that it could make things for him, but you know, he he did liberate the ship. Uh, yeah. From from the American military. Well, and so. You know, there's this setup. So he he's fighting the parasite, and he says, "Ship, I need a suit that's going to protect me from the parasite's powers." And so I have a couple, uh, you know, I I have a, a couple of concerns about this <laughs> because it, it you know so he they if the ship makes him a suit that essentially is just like I don't know it like wraps him in saran wrap or something. I expected a little something more than that. Um. You know, I mean, we've seen the suits that Superman wears to go into space and stuff like that. I guess I expected a little something more like that than just a shiny coat of armor on top of him. Right. You expected a design from an AI. Well, and then it breaks apart in like two pages. But uh, so the ship is kind of a shitty design designer. Um, I had a, a little bit of issue with the hooker with the heart of gold storyline. Oh, see, I love that. I loved it. But at the same time, it's like, really, I mean, like the hooking, like she has to hook on the side. You can't just make, you know, it it, it added nothing to the story. Right. It could have just been an ex-boyfriend. It could have been that she is on drugs. It could have been anything. But no, she's a hooker with a heart of gold. And that didn't necessarily seem like an important part of the story. I, I have to say, and along those lines, um, when Pa Kent makes the Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex reference – to Clark, I mean, I understand that was an homage to the Larry Niven essay, but uh, I really, I, I, it rang untrue to the character, mm-hmm. um, and I thought it was inappropriate to the story. Now, I did love that Paul Kent's having a sex talk with Clark. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, Clark is like, you know, I can't unhear this, I can't unhear this, you know, and and it's not, you know, a Birds and the Beast story. It's just like, hey. You know, there are certain things that happen, you know, when a man's having sex, you could really hurt somebody, you know. And so a- as such, Clark's a virgin, you know. Um, I, 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 I found that to be an interesting story beat. But them him just throwing the plug in there, Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex, uh, it just it took me out. Yeah, know? I mean, there were just I mean, and here's the thing. There are great moments in the book. And there are some moments that are ruined literally by one sentence 
for me. Um, like 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 you said, like that. You know, yeah. and there th- th- that that could have been a great scene, but it's just you know, it's just these slight little touches that that take you out of it. Yeah. Um, I and, do not. I, I, the parasite character I felt was lame. You know, uh, he didn't bother me. I mean. And and maybe it's because he resolves pretty darn quick in in terms of the page count, you know. Yeah, and, but I mean that's the I guess that's my concern is, you know, th- th- there's a timing thing that's a little confusing to me too. It is. You know, how long has this been since the original story? You know, how long does this storyline take place during? Is it all in one day? Because it doesn't seem like it. But you know, the parasite, he seems like he's on the same rampage. Right. The whole, entire book. Um, now I have one more question for you on this. And uh, now, despite my my nitpicks, I feel this book is worth the cost of admission if you can get it at a discount. Um, I feel the art is gorgeous by Shane Davis. I think it's a step up from from the previous volume. Yeah, I think we're, we I saw a lot less photo reference in this book uh-huh. than I did in the first volume. Um, I think it's it's it definitely has some some really fantastic Clark Kent moments. Yeah. What did you feel about the ending? Not the very ending, not where he goes, uh, not with like the. Um, I don't want to spoil the the ending, beach but. scene. The beach scene and the phone call was that what you're what you're uh, saying? The beach scene and the phone call. Um, no, before the. Uh, oh no, the, the beach scene I'm okay with. Okay, I'm okay with the beach scene, um, which is the introduction of those characters. Right. Uh, which I, I guess. What did you feel about that? Well, do we want to reveal the characters? Uh, I think we could we could not spoil it, so I don't think that's important to, to this. Yeah. I think all, all it's important to say is that it's setting up the third volume. Mm-hmm. That that much more so than the first volume, they're, they're laying the groundwork for the stories that are going to come. And I liked that introduction, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's an interesting. It's a uh, unique it's a, take. It's a unique take on a classic Superman villain that I think is going to make for interesting uh, an interesting moment. No, I'm referring to the. Um, where he visits the uh, the character in his bedroom. Yes, I you know the, gen- the general I, scene. Yes, um, I was fine with that. You were I fine was, with the resolution of that storyline. I, I absolutely was. It was very much. This is not. This DC is Superman. Yeah, this, this is, is not your daddy Superman. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and and really, it surprised me. It took took him that long to get there. But you know, clearly Clark has been conflicted about his role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you guys were talking about, or Wayne was talking about when, uh, when you guys were talking about action comics, Superman taking care of a wife beater, you know, and th- we very much have that scene in this book where, you know, a man is abusing a woman and Superman just drops him in the frozen wilderness of Alaska. <laughs> and the guy's like, what am I supposed to do? There's a village that way. If you start walking, you can make it by nightfall. Well, how am I supposed to get home? Not my problem. But I, I am your problem. <laughs> I like that scene. I like it when Superman's being super. Yeah, and well, and I think there were, you know, I talked a little bit about, you know, this has some badass Superman moments. Yes, it does. Um, but those I enjoyed. Again, I, get, I think my main issue with it is the Parasite storyline, which, again, as you said, the page count overall is probably only about a fifth of the book. Yeah. But it, it but it's the main conflict, and it's, I feel like yeah. it's it's the through it, beat and. And, you know, what's funny is that I liked the Parasite's background story, you know, mm-hmm. uh, between uh, the character and his sister. You know, yeah. though you kind of, the handwriting was on the wall, you knew how that was going to resolve. Yeah. You know, but 
you know, I enjoyed, you know, some of the background that we got on it. But, you know, I, you know, I don't think that the Parasite is a particularly interesting villain. And I think he's more of a weapon. He's something that you point at Superman um, versus, you know, he's got he's got a big plan because really all, all the Parasite is is hungry. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, the, unfortunately, that's he didn't have a, a, a puppet master pulling right. his strings, which is what this book was missing. I agree, and I think that's I think that is what bo- what both volumes one and two have missed is a villain that really challenges Superman. Oh yeah, because that sh- it was it. It's not Shinzon. That's from Star Trek. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but whatever he also the, wouldn't have challenged Superman either. <laughs> but whoever that character was in the first one, I don't know. I, I hope yeah, it'll sorry. turn around in the third one. They're setting up for a really great third volume. Yeah. Now, I, I have to object to one thing that nobody seems to be concerned about, but I am mm-hmm. deeply concerned about. Does Has anyone noticed that Superman's ship is a Cylon Raider? <laughs> and that this has all happened before and it's all going to happen again? Superman has a plan. <laughs> There's a Stargate in this issue somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm just saying, Superman's a Cylon. <laughs> <laughs> but... And Wayne, in fact, if, you can get if, your hands had, on it. if we had seen Superman having sex in this issue, you'd have seen the red thing up his back. <laughs> I, for one, welcome our new Cyber Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do recommend picking it up. Despite our nitpicks, it is a it is quite a good Superman story, and it is a uh, it is leaps and bounds above <laughs> the first issue. I agree. Of the first volume. I agree. So this week, and it's a beautiful trade dress, by the way. Just oh, that yeah. first one, the, the 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 trade dress on this book is just gorgeous. I, I love the way they do these, and I got to be honest, I wish DC would do more of these. Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I, you know, they're I think they're being a little smart by doing it sparingly. Uh huh. You know, because but they're doing it a little too sparingly. Yeah, there, there, there's a happy medium between what DC is doing versus what Marvel is doing on their season one. Yeah, you know, uh, there's too many season ones out there, and they're all crap. But uh, you know, there have there have been three Earth One books, two of the Superman, one of the Batman, and uh, you know, they're all just stunning on the shelf. Yeah, you know? and I know Batman Earth One was delayed because they wanted to coincide with the Dark Knight movie. Right, and I get that, but you know, where's the Wonder Woman Earth One or the Green Lantern Earth One or you know, we even I would actually I would, I think I would love to see a Flash Earth One. I, think I was that thinking that character. as you named the other characters, it's like I don't really care about a Wonder Woman Earth One. I don't think I need a Green Lantern Earth One, but a Flash Earth One, I would be behind that one hundred percent. Yeah, something that goes deep into the forensics of the character and stuff like that. You know, a more realistic take. I, I would love to see that. Good stuff. I I I, I very much enjoyed the, this book. Yeah, yeah, some minor nitpicks, but I very much enjoyed this book. So, so, you know what else I enjoyed, Paul? You hooked me up with something this week that I was going to make fun of you about. Uh, but you hooked me up with Little Gotham. Yeah. I loved that. I, You know, it's it looks like a little kitty Batman book. You know, thus the title, Little Gotham. But yeah. I absolutely loved that. Wow. How can this book be good? It looks like a little kitty book. It does. But... Uh, you know, it, it's a story that actually makes some sense. It's the night that Batman, you know, Halloween night is the night Batman gets to walk around Gotham, you know, as opposed to lurking in the shadows. And he gets to, you know, buy kids candy and he gets to, you know, let Robin trick or treat. It's it's it. it of course, it's 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 a family friendly story. So this it's by Dustin Wen. Um, he has done he has done some um, 
some art some Batman art that's this little Gotham style uh, previously, and I guess it's been so popular they're doing a once a month little Gotham story that coincides with a holiday every month. So this month was the first issue, and it's Halloween, and like Aaron said, it's Batman taking Robin trick-or-treating, and the villains who get to walk around um, without worry because everyone's in costume. And I loved it. Yeah, no, it was really very good. So are they going to put Stephanie Brown in a book every month and then digitally remove her afterwards? I, I can, can only hope. hope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that would be my wish. <laughs> Poor Wayne. <laughs> I that actually like at first I didn't care. I wasn't going to buy the book, you know, just because a kitty version of her was in there or anything. But when I found out they went back and changed the character digitally digitally after it was released just to make sure that no one thought it was her that really bothers me because that's above and beyond that's just that's not just saying we're not doing anything with the character right now that's saying we acknowledge that you you out there are looking for her so we're going to make every effort to make sure you can't find her we're going to continue to tease her and then remove her it's like they're personally trying to get at everyone that sent them waffles I, I think that, that what they're saying is that uh, fuck Wayne. I think it's what they're saying. I, 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 that's what I'm getting. Paul, you? I'm getting a strong vibe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, I will say, despite the Stephanie Brown incident, it's just it's, – it's 99 cents. It is more than <laughs> worth 99 cents. Yeah, to, it is, to uh, see Stephanie Brown removed from the page, yes. <laughs> it's just such a fun – Story. It is an all-ages story. It's not just a kitty story. And I know the the look would have you believe that, but that's not. I mean, I think that's just the look of it. Yeah, you know? it was fun. It was fun. I really enjoyed it. Oh yeah, it was a blast. And you know the way Robin, you know, beats up on the kids. And his, I mean, there are just some priceless moments in this book, like when Robin goes trick or treating, and Batman's like, <laughs> no, you know, and what Robin, Talia, and Rachel Gould used to do for oh, Halloween God. for fun. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, it's just it, it'll take you as long to read as a two ninety nine book, and the the ending is great. You know they they really stuck the ending with this. I I just there are so many little Easter eggs like the fact that a uh, poison ivy is a carnivore. Yes, <laughs> just a great book, just a great great book. Um, highly recommended. Ninety nine cents, digital only, um, and I'd imagine they will probably not collect these for a while. Yeah. Um, now, what would be interesting is if they did them as storybooks, collected them as storybooks, like children's storybooks. Oh yeah, absolutely. And have some some type of unique format for that. But pick it up. Ninety nine cents, Comicsology, great stuff. Um, so I'm going to shut up for a while, and I'm going to let you guys talk about. The one Marvel book we're going to talk about this week, Ultimate Comics X-Men. Yeah, and I really wanted to talk about this one in particular because it wraps up one of the big storylines that's been going on since the beginning of this title. And that's the basically the uh, the Sentinels taking over part of the U.S. Yeah, and uh, that cover, Wayne, with uh, Kitty Pride standing on top of the Sentinel. Yep, uh, I love that cover. It's it, it, I have uh, saved it out as uh, one of my candidates for cover of the year because uh, it's done in the very uh, uh, industrial Russian kind of style with the the, the silhouettes, the flying Nimrods behind her, uh, with with the uh, big Sentinel in the foreground. I just I love that cover. The cover is fantastic. 
Yeah, in the actual book itself, I was surprised by how easily the uh, the ma- the big master mold sentinel went down. Yeah, I the uh, you know this whole time Kitty has been you know leading the mutant resistance in the in the South, and Nick Fury has been at her side, and so you know Nick Fury. Uh, says, well, you know, I got to go. I got to go do my thing. This is a mutant thing. You know, you go, you go be mutants, and and just remember, uh, remind, remember that I told you that there would come a time when you need to put down that gun. I recommend you do it before Captain America gets here. And Kitty Pryde's like, wait, what? Cap's coming here? <laughs> and so President Captain America comes to town, and uh, they have a sit down. Yeah, and I have to say, I've been so excited about this President Cap stuff because it's been so good. Mm-hmm. He basically rides in and fixes everything. This is the first time I've been disappointed in him. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think it shows the realities of politics, you know, and, and what he's got to manage back home. Uh, and it keeps the mutants on the outside. You know, Cap essentially gives her the option, hey, look, we've got this uh, this, you know, injection that can remove your mutant powers. And so I'm going to give you a choice. You can you can take the injection and just you know be able to live like anybody else, you know, or you can go and live on this reservation that I've created for you. Yeah, and it's just like that doesn't sound like the cap we've been seeing lately. It it sounds like a cap that is finely ingrained in politics. Yeah, yeah, he. Uh, yeah, it's disappointing, and and I, and I think that's that's a a uh, an important beat to the story about how shattered Kitty becomes when she when she you know when Cap comes in and disappoints her, you know, and she has that you know is that all, Mister President, and he continues on, and you know, and then she she you, you can just read the steel in her voice. Yeah, is that all, Mister President? You know, and he's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, I wish you nothing but the best. I mean, the I, I thought it was a really strong moment. I love what they're doing with Kitty Pride's character in the Ultimate Universe. Um, I, I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this rolls out. Which of the mutants decide to take the, the vaccine? You know, yeah. I'm really looking forward to this next storyline, Reservation X. Yeah, yeah. The X Men are they're not really X Men at this point, but the mutants all. Pushed together on a reservation. Yeah, yeah, I because uh, th- that worked out so well for the Native Americans. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly what they're going for. Oh yeah, this, absolutely, sure. absolutely. But I, this has been just a really very good story. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm excited to see where it's going to go. Yeah, I mean, and with this, they are pretty much done reuniting the U.S. Mm-hmm. Everything is back together. Caps in control of the whole country, and the mutants are off on a reservation somewhere. Yep. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. I am curious what state they'll put the reservation in. Well, I'm, I'm hoping for Missouri. <laughs> I mean, there's that whole space like that St. Louis area that no one's doing anything with. I'm thinking they'll line the border with Mexico with mutants. <laughs> sure, you could try to get across the, uh, you know, across the border, but if you do, you're encroaching on mutant territory. Yeah. Two problems, one stone. <laughs> so, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Ah, look, someone asked me. (laughs) So (laughs) next week we have Shadow Man from Valiant, the first issue of Shadow Man. Lots of first issues next week. I say I'll be buying that because I buy everything Valiant, every single title. I'll I'll be reviewing the review copy that they sent us. (laughs) Um, 
But I'm excited about two new Marvel Now titles, uh, Deadpool, uh, Marvel Now, and uh, Iron Man, Marvel Now. Uh, Iron Man's done by Kieran Gillen and Greg Land. Deadpool um, has art by Tony Moore and uh, is written by a guy I've never heard of before, <laughs> uh, Jerry Dugan. Oh, Jerry Dugan! Yeah, Dugan! I don't know. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I don't know. Are you picking up Daredevil End of Days number two, Aaron? Don't or are you waiting for the trade? I think I'm going to wait for the trade. I think I will also. I I, I, yeah. I will pick it up in individual issues. I uh, I sure do like it, but I think it's going to read better for me in trade. I think you, so, too. You know what I'm really excited about next week? The uh, the launch of Fly, the, the ongoing series. So Fly Volume 2, number one, by Raven Gregory and Xenoscope comes out next week. I am pumped for that because that first trade paperback was absolutely incredible. And that's not even, uh, you know, despite the fact that they quoted me on the back cover, it's still incredible, that, you know, even though, even if they wouldn't have quoted me. It was despite the fact that they, that they quoted Wayne, it's, it's a good book. Yeah, despite <laughs> yes. the fact that Wayne didn't buy us the copies that he was going to. You didn't give me your addresses. I would mail you the copy if you would give me the address. And I told you that. I, well, I will get you my address lickety split. The offer expired at midnight, Paul. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, guys, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about those new Marvel Now titles. Uh, Wayne, will you be picking up Deadpool or am I the only one picking up Deadpool? You're the only one picking up Deadpool. Andrew, if you're listening to this and you're on next week's podcast, please pick up Deadpool. <laughs> So I can have someone to talk about with it. Talk yeah, about it with. I've been excited about the Marvel <laughs> stuff, but I just don't care about Deadpool. Uh, you know, I, I loved what Daniel Way did on the title. At some point, I dropped off of it, but I, uh, I like Tony Moore's art, so I'm going to give it a shot. Very good. And I'm definitely picking up Iron Man. So. Good deal. All right, guys. All right. Always a pleasure. Nah, not usually. No, always. Well, only because Tim's not here. That's right. That's right. Screw that guy. <laughs> Well, I will talk to you guys next week. All right. Wayne doesn't really say bye, so we shouldn't wait for him. Oh, yeah, he doesn't. He's not. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. Imagine that this is what you hum when you're having sex. Yes, <laughs> only at the end. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Clean yourself up. Give me a glass of water. Did you ever see uh, Godfather 3? Uh, a long time ago. I haven't seen it in a while. It's an awful movie, but there is this wonderful scene where uh, Andy Garcia has uh, spent the evening, you know, banging this blonde chick. 
and they're laying in bed, and he hears something in the other room. Of course, she doesn't hear it, and he says, hey, go get me a glass of water. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, sends her into the room where where the bad people are. I just (laughs) – that's my move. (laughs) 